Tyler. I'm Danny. And this is episode 84 of Fried Squirms. And I'm going to just start off right off the bat by apologizing for the fact that we have construction going on today that I have already noticed coming up on the microphone. I mean, who knows? You guys might not pick it up once it comes through the mix. But just in case. Yeah, but just in case, our bad. They're doing construction on the school that I live next to, so. No doubt. So today we do have a fun film as well. We didn't have our plans go through as we say, mentioned before. Did we, did we mention what we were going to do? We did. Okay, well then, if you guys went out and watched The Gate to get ready for this week, we're sorry. Psyched you out. <laughs> our bad. Yeah, it happens. At least you watched it. We are going to be getting to it. Exactly. At least you'll be this much further ahead of the ballgame now. So. Right. Like you said, plans change, things came up, so we called one on the fly. And you've mentioned it, and we should probably mention it to our audience, that the funny thing is, is when we talked about it, or at least texted about it, we both were thinking the same kind of feel for this film. Right. So when we're like, okay, our plans are going to have to change, what are we going to do? Something we've talked about a couple times behind the scenes, I was like, oh, let's do Stuart Gordon's Castle Freak, based on H.P. Lovecraft's The Outsider. And then you suggested Stuart Gordon's Dagon based on The Shadow Over Innsmouth, and I was all about that idea. So this nice. week we're bringing you Dagon. Yeah, either way we're bringing you some H.P. Lovecraft-inspired films. Some Stuart Gordon oh, directed. Yeah, no doubt. Who we've covered before, which is really cool. It's actually the very first review we did, so it's been quite a while. In fact, we covered Stuart Gordon adapting H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> what are the odds? But for those who are familiar with Stuart Gordon, they'll know that he likes to tackle H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah, this is kind of par for the course for him. And do you have anything before we get into it? I think I mentioned to you briefly today, and I mentioned it last week, that I finally got everything cemented for my trip to Portland to go see Goblin, so I'm looking forward to that. Outside of that, things that are a little bit more pertaining to today's episode, I suppose, I looked at you know some information as we do, and the first thing I'll have to share is that Scream Factory, who I'm a fan of, they are releasing a Blu-ray box set of the Spanish horror franchise Wreck. So if you're familiar with that, they are releasing that on September 25th. It's going to be all four films. Now they're going to be chock full of really nice features. So if you're looking for like behind-the-scenes footage, outtakes, deleted scenes, etc. I mean, there's even interviews and commentary from the directors and writers. So get your hands on that. Now, we've covered this gentleman before because we have done Green Room as a part of a doubleheader with our Get Out episode, which was a lot of fun. But I did mention this as well. Jeremy Saulnier, his new film, Hold the Dark, it's slated for a Netflix release, and apparently it's going to be set in the Arctic. Okay. Yeah, so they've released their poster for it. It's got a really cool cast. I should mention that the lead actor, this guy is the Westworld star Jeffrey Wright, who... At one point, was married to Carmen Ijogo, who we covered in The Purge Anarchy. Cool. Yeah, so he's in it. You've got stars Alexander Skarsgård, James Badge Dale, Riley Keough, and Beckham Crawford. They're also starring in that. The film is titled Hold the Dark, and it's slated for a September 28th Netflix premiere. So check that out. I've got a few other bits of information relating to films. I saw that Hulu and... Prime are slated for some new horror films mm-hmm. are going to be dropped, so I'll start with Hulu first. For those who are fans of things like The Fly, the 1986 version, the Jeff Goldblum version, 
If you like Joyride, Poltergeist 2, Pumpkinhead 1 and 2, and an Unbreakable, those are getting dropped on September 1st. And for those who like The Housemaid, that's the 14th. You've got the film Hardware, which we're actually going to talk about a little bit later on. It's slated for September 15th. The American Horror Story, The Cult, that's for September 18th. And The Shape of Water, which we've seen, September 22nd. And if you have Amazon Prime, look for films such as Ghostbusters 1 and 2. That's September 1st. Joyride, Poltergeist 2, Pumpkinhead. Seems like a couple of these are on the same kind of dates. But Mm -hmm. on September 29th, Hulu is releasing Jigsaw. And I believe so is Netflix. Yeah, so... So I'll finally watch it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, but outside of that, man, I've been kind of low-key for the most part. That's yeah, about I, all I got to share this week. I don't really have anything personally for me this week. I did see where Bruce Campbell in an interview was being asked about what he thought on the future of the Evil Dead franchise. I don't have it in front of me, but to sum up his thoughts, it was basically... All the kids were basically set up to be badass characters in their own rights by the end of Ash vs. Evil Dead. So as far as TV goes, you could follow any or all of them, and he considers it it would probably be just as good of a show. Nice. Like and you have like Pablo being the shaman and stuff. Pablo is really good. I like <clears throat> the actor. And you have like his daughter and you know, so yeah. on. But anyway, they're all sort of set up to be badasses in their own right by the end of the show. And he feels that, as far as the movies go, Mia's a badass. Keep going with that. I agree. Why not? Yeah. I absolutely agree. Fucking Fede Alvarez, get your ass on that fucking Evil Dead 2 that we so rightly deserve. Give the fans what they want. Oh my god. How awesome would that be to get the Alvarez sequel? I am that was, down. Dude, that fucking that reboot was so good. It was. It's something I, that we are going to talk about on the show at some point. We have a couple ideas for what we might do with no, it. No, I know so. we mentioned it briefly, but yeah, at first Jesse, I was a little if you're listening, you're coming on for it. Hell yeah. <laughs> Which would be fitting considering one of our last, well, I think only our one lost episode has to do with that franchise. So it's only fitting for Jesse to come back. But that's all I saw this week. Like, it was kind of a low horror week for me. So Yeah, likewise. Not a whole lot shaken, but some good films coming out pretty soon. Yeah, just keeping caught up on Castle Rock mostly. Oh, dude, yeah. We mentioned that a little bit. I'm off. digging it. Yeah, dude, it's so good, man. And it leaves you with some really cool questions, some um, vague answers. I'm wondering what this cliffhanger is going to lead to. What was it, only like two episodes left? Uh, four. Four? Okay, so it is. It's ten episodes. Ten, okay. Seven. Good. <laughs> Good. I was thinking A for some reason. But it did get renewed for a second season, too. Nice. So. so at least we know that's happening. But yeah, so far so good, man. Still getting better each episode. Fuck yeah. Let's get into the guts and bolts of Dagon. Dagon. The fish guts and bolts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Guts and bolts today, gone. Mmm, guts and bolts. Fish guts and bolts today. Oh man, fucking hotel guy guts and bolts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt, right? <laughs> wow. It's a lot of fun, but anyhow, we did mention that this is an H.P. Lovecraft inspired film because of his works, Dagon and Shadow over Innsmouth. 
And because we're in the guts and bolts, we like to talk about our cast and crew. And before that, we do like to give you a little brief synopsis. Ooh, synopsis. A group of, I don't want to call them friends, a group of acquaintances. (laughs) Yeah, at this point. (laughs) End up crashing in their boat on a town right off the coast of Spain. A town with a weird, fishy secret. Some fishy business going on in that There's some really town. fishy business going on. You can catch our drift. <laughs> so, yeah. Everything about this smells a little fishy to me. I agree, man. Ooh, good morning, ladies. <laughs> oh, man, that's funny. <laughs> Jesus. All right, so nice brief synopsis of what this film entails. And to start it off, we did mention before that we're no stranger to Stuart Gordon because he is the director of this film. And we talked about the fact that the very first film that we reviewed was Reanimator. He's the director for that. He's also the director from Beyond, the film Dolls, The Pit and the Pendulum from 1991. The Dreams in the Witch House episode of Masters of Horror. And The Black Cat, which we have covered, Masters of Horror. We're no strangers to that either. Thank you, Takashi Miike, an imprint. I know you've already mentioned before that he's also the director of Castle Freak. You might recognize his work as a director for Space Truckers, The Wonderful Ice Cream Suit, which I was reading a little bit about. Sounds pretty interesting. He was also the director of King of the Ants, the film Edmund, and the film Stuck. He's also a writer and producer, and some of the stuff that he's helped produce were Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which he was a writer of, but he also helped produce Honey, I Blew Up the Kids. Did you read about how he first made his name? Not necessarily. I don't think so. Okay, so this is just off Wikipedia, so that's what I'm going to cite here. So fuck you, college professors. I found this fucking fascinating. So he made his name initially in the theater for doing controversial plays. The game show is a play that's intended to be an attack on apathy. It locked the audience into the theater and also seemingly humiliated, beat, and raped them. Wow. There was audience plants that were used for those parts and pretty much always ended with the audience eventually like rioting. Wow. And like demanding to be let out and stopping the show. That is pretty gnarly. I had no idea. That's really awesome. That's insane. That's no fucking shit. insane. That's so cool though. That's ballsy. Yeah. No shit. That's well good for him, man. <laughs> hey, I let him down this path, so I'm okay with that. No harm, no foul, right? <laughs> All right. Now, he does have a partner in this film, and that's his writer, and that's Dennis Paoli. And he's helped with the screenplay for Reanimator, of course, from Beyond. A little film we've talked about, we haven't covered, but eventually we'll get down that road. But he was the writer for the film Ghoulies Part 2, also The Pit and the Pendulum, the film Body Snatchers, Castle Freak, The Dentist 1 and 2, and the Masters of Horror episodes, The Dream in the Witch House, and The Black Cat. Our cinematographer, interesting man, this is a Spanish cinematographer, and that is Carlos Suarez. He's done such films as The Man of Principle, the film Sinatra, the film, I'm going to probably fuck this name up, but Macnabaja, El Ultimo Chorizo, and a film called Rowing with the Wind, and the Oviedo Express. Did you just say something about Ultimate Chorizo? Yeah. <laughs> I'm down with some Ultimate Chorizo. I thought that was kind of funny, reading that. It's like, all right. <laughs> you know, I'm not judging. Our editor on this is also a Spanish gentleman, and his name is Jome Del Alta, and he's done such things as the short Poroles and Arachnid, and he's also known as a producer for Spanish film. The music, also done by a Spanish gentleman, and that is Carlos Casas, and he's done such things as Habanera, 1820, Anita Takes a Chance, 
Food of Love, and also the Oviedo Express. The special effects, we have a few teams, and that was DDT, Efectos Especiales, and they help with the mechanical and makeup effects. You have Film Tell SA, they help with the digital effects. Not SA, like Obre, SA. <laughs> Just the A-S-A? initial SA. Yeah, all right. How to be specific, this is Spanish. And also, we have San Dimas, Valabal, Molina, they help with the material effects on this. Wait, wait, wait. San Dimas? Like San Dimas High School? San Dimas High School. <laughs> <laughs> Some villain Ted's. That's funny we mentioned them last week, too. All right. Now, this was produced by Carlos Fernandez, Julio Fernandez, Miguel Torrente, and Brian Yuzna, which we're no strangers to Brian Yuzna. I'm, Yuzna is usually involved with Gordon shit. Oh, so. no doubt. So if you've seen any of Stuart Gordon's, you've seen... Brian using his hands on those projects. Now, he's also a director. He's directed some pretty fucking wild shit. Oh, yeah. Like, what? Like, Society? Society is really bizarre. I highly recommend it. If uh, the likes. Dentist. Yeah. Pretty gnarly films. I like them, though. Now, our production companies, I did have to look this up. They are a shit ton because this was in collaboration with a lot of Spanish it's production companies. Just looking at some of the shit that I'm seeing here... Just looking at the names of some of these production companies that I'm seeing, I'm guessing that Spain is one of those countries where if you make a movie there, you have to do it partially financed by one of their banks, which technically means working with their government, which means yeah. that's why we have like the television production companies of these areas. Oh, yeah. that <laughs> TV3, TVG, so there's yeah. Televisio de Catalunya and Television de Galicia. So, yeah. You see that pop up from time to time when you work, depending on where you work. And I'm not sure if that's the way it actually works. I'm just guessing that based on what I'm seeing right here. Well, I mean, there's like, what, eight or nine different production companies. Institute Catala de Finances. Yeah. Casilla Producciones, Estudios Picasso, Filmax, which was known as Fantastic Factory, which I like that a lot. Yeah, you have the Generalitat de Catalunya, Institut Catala de Industries Culturales. Like, wow, ICIC. Yeah, so, I mean, not necessarily that I have to list them all, but they're mostly the Galicia, which is the northwest part of Spain, which borders Portugal, so you have a little bit of that influence. But anyhow, our distributors for this were Filmax. They helped with the 2001 Spanish, and that's all media releases. We have Lion Gates Film Homes Entertainment, which helped with the 2002 USA DVD, which I own, and all other media. Now, the budget, I've seen conflicting numbers on this. I Google searched it, and it came up with like 4.8 million U.S., which was a little over 4 million euro at the time. But I, I did see that Wiki has it down for a lot less than that. <laughs> so I don't know which one to trust on that. But somewhere between $250,000 and about $5 million U.S., somewhere in that range. Unfortunately, I don't have a tagline on this one, Tyler. Oh no, it's kind no of a bummer. I know. Oh, it's okay. But I do have release dates. So this was released October 12th, 2001. This was at the Sitgitz Film Festival in Spain. October 31st, some people might know as Halloween. <laughs> Samhain, 2001. That was in Spain. That was for the premiere release. And we had a July 23rd, 2002 USA and Canadian video premiere. All right, so that rounds out the crew on this film. We should get into the cast. Now that it's a heavy... Cast. A lot of these people get their film premieres, but... Oh, I might have just found a tagline for you. Yeah? I'm looking at one of the posters here, and my Spanish is a little rusty. But from what I'm looking at, I'm pretty sure it says, A cursed town, a ancestral cult, a nightmare made real. I'm okay with that. I like it. 
I think that's what it says. I'm down. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> Even if you're making it up, I still like it. <laughs> but I know you're not. <laughs> well, good, man. Maybe we can use that. Maybe we can try to pitch that for the official tagline. Nice. Save the day. I couldn't let you go without a tagline. I know, dude. I love my taglines because I know somebody's going to spring that on us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'll lead off with the cast. And we have a gentleman making his film debut, and that's Ezra Godden. He plays Paul Marsh in this film. Now, people might have seen him in his work on the show Band of Brothers. He played Robert Van Clinkton. He was also in the Masters of Horror episode Dreams in the Witch House. You might have heard his voice because he's lent his voice on some video game works. Yeah, a few games, a few that I've played, all in very bit parts that I cannot actually remember. Right, uh, he, had a couple, he had a couple voices. named roles in Dragon Age Origins. It's just been a while since I've played Origins. Nice. But a lot of his roles are like additional voices in Ostwick and stuff like that. Yeah, he gets down. <laughs> but it means I've heard him, which is cool to me. Yeah, I mean, he's also lent his voice for Star Wars The Old Republic video game. Oh, yeah, I didn't play enough of The Old Republic to recognize the names of any of those characters. Yeah. But he played, actually, a number of characters in The Old Republic. Which I think is really cool. If and, you got down on that MMO. I mean, for those who did, man, Star Wars, can't blame him. Now, he's also known for the film Future Self, and if I'm not mistaken, I think he's helping producing films these days. All right, now, another person I have is, is actually a Spanish well-known actor, and that is Francisco Rebal. He plays Ezekiel in this film. And I went back and looked at some of his works, and I was like, holy shit. All right, the first one I'll mention, because I've actually seen one of his short films, but he's done a few films for Luis Buñuel, and he's done the films Nazarene, Verdiana, and Belle du Jour. And the film that I saw was I went and seen some displays of it was salvador dali that was down in atlanta at the high museum of art and as a part of that they had a curator who was showing some of the short films some of his other works that he actually got into and he worked in association with luis benuel because they did the andalusian dog or unchen andalusian that's Mm -hmm. what it means but it's infamous because it's a realist film like very early but it also has the sliced eyeball Ooh. And they used a sheep's eyeball. It's just very bizarre, like I said, surreal piece of work. But yeah, it's really cool. I actually got to see a piece of his work. This movie isn't as bad as the movie I'm about to name. But <laughs> when I look at Francisco Rabal's body of work and some of the actually like really acclaimed shit that he's been in and how acclaimed of an actor he kind of was, I kind of feel <laughs> like how it just reminds me a lot of Raul Julia. Yeah, 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 I know you're talking. And about. being an acclaimed actor, and his last movie being Street Fighter, Jesus. and Francisco Robal is... has all of those works, and his last movie is this. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Died from uh, complications involving emphysema. Yeah. Shortly, I mean, was the movie actually out yet? I don't think it was, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think it was quite out yet. Yeah. It was like while it was in post-production. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's unfortunate, but it does happen. But you're right, this is his last film appearance. But he's also worked with William Friedkin, and for those who are familiar with that name, I mean, think of The Exorcist. But William Friedkin actually got him to be in the film Sorcerer. I read something that was kind of funny, that there was another film that Friedkin wanted him on, 
And because he couldn't remember his name, he got a different actor. Oh, yeah. He wanted him on The French Connection. Yeah. And he got somebody else instead. But the irony was is that that Francisco Rabal and the other actor worked on a different film together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was kind of neat. But eventually, yeah, he got around, made the rounds, got him on Sorcerer. Now, he's also worked on such films as Los Santos Innocents, El Despurado Vato del Señor. And he was also in the film Goya and Bardeos, which was a film about Goya. All right, now another actress who's making her film debut is Raquel Moroño. She plays Barbara in this film. She was in a lot of Spanish stuff. So one of them I have written down is the film Airbag. She was on the show Paco y Viva. That was back in 2004. She was in Beneath Still Waters, a film. Now we do have a Spanish actress, little baby doll. Now, well, so this might play into something that I'm going to bring up before we're out of the guts and bolts. Okay. But... If you would have asked me to guess that she was a Maroño, <laughs> yeah. I never would have in a million years. I would have thought she was like Barbara Smith. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know there was some Latin in her. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, the next actress I was going to mention is Macarena Gomez. She plays Ushia. And I don't want to mention her last name right yet. It's kind of a giveaway. But anyhow, she's done such thing as La All Dama her Goba. friends, they call her Macarena. Macarena. <laughs> hey, Macarena. <laughs> No, she was in the film Sexy Killer. She was in the film Verbo. You might have seen her in Witching and Bitching. She was in The Shrew's Nest, Skins. And I have her in the television show Le Case Avancina. Which she's currently in yeah. and is best known for currently. Yeah. And like I said, she's mostly known, of course, for her Spanish film work, which is really cool. So I don't know if that Skins is just like the Spanish version of the UK show it Skins. Is. But I think it just got picked up by Netflix. I think we're oh. going to be able to watch it soon on there. Nice. Which I'm actually kind of interested in because she didn't do a half bad job in this movie. No, she's really a strong actress, I feel. The next person I have, this is actually an English actor, and he didn't really get well known until he moved to Spain and started doing Spanish works. But this actor is Brendan Price. His name is Howard in the film, and there is a reason why his name is Howard. We'll get into that a little bit later on, but... He's done such works as The Amorous Milkman, The Sleep of Death, The Nameless, Saving Grace, Brain Drain, Exorcismas, and you might have seen him in a few episodes of Doctor Who back in 1977. It's a fourth Doctor right there. Pretty awesome. Yeah. So there you go. Now, I do have another actress. She's getting her film debut. She's a little bit older, but her name is Brigitte Buffarul. She plays Vicky. She was in the 1992 television series Lucerita. You might have seen her in the film The Second Name and the film The Deal. Now, I do have a few other actors. I have, let's see, I have Ferran Lejos. He plays the priest. Now, one film I wanted to mention because I do like it and because it has a Batman in it. But for those who are familiar with The Machinist, he plays Gonzalez in that film. Oh, yeah, nice. So it's like, ah, it's not very big, but... That's neat, though. Figured, yeah, I'll mention it. And the next person I have is Alfredo Villa. He's the one who plays El Capitan in this, and he's done such things as Before Night Falls. I figured that was worth mentioning. It's a pretty decent film, man. All right, next person I have is Jose Lefante. 
He is the desk receptionist. <laughs> he's kind of an interesting person. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, he's done a few works I'll mention really quick, but he was in The Adventures of Baron Manchusen, and he plays Dr. Death in that. I was like, oh, that's pretty interesting. Now, I mentioned hardware a little earlier because it is getting, I believe, a Hulu release, like in September. Oh, yeah. But there's a person who makes kind of a bit of a cameo. You really couldn't recognize him because he's one of the townspeople. But this person is Richard Stanley, and he is a director and writer. And some of the things I've already mentioned were hardware. I've mentioned this film briefly because I would like to have it, maybe review it somewhere down the road. But he was a writer for the film Dust Devil. He was unaccredited for being a director on The Island of Dr. Moreau. And he helped write an upcoming film, I Am Legion. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Ooh. Nice. But yeah, that pretty much rounds out the cast and crew. Now, there are some other people... Who they get kind of a credited role, but I looked at the works; they weren't really anything that we recognize. So. I mean, honestly, they're at it's this mostly point, Spanish they'd be actors in it for and actresses, like three seconds anyway, yeah, at best. So that's no offense to them, but maybe we'll get down to them later on. <laughs> Who knows? Okay. But anyhow, that's the cast and crew. We gave you synopsis. We should give you some warnings. Well, I was going to say before we get into the warnings, because this is also what goes into this. It's an adaptation of a story. I don't know if I've pointed this out before, but I'm really into Lovecraft. Well, looking over there in the corner, I do see a Cthulhu. Looking at us from the corner, I mean, there's a reason we started with Reanimator. Yeah, dude. I have multiple adaptations, like, within reach. Yeah. And like I said, I'm a fan as well. I've read some of his work, so. I've been pretty big into Lovecraft for a while, so there's a couple things I'll say now. Like I said, we do try to keep this spoiler free, so I'm going to try to figure out what I can say and what I kind of want to save for the next section. But I do want to say, if you're interested in reading Lovecraft, The Shadow Over Innsmouth is one of the better stories. Oh, yeah. There's a reason it keeps being readapted over and over again, because it's not only the basis for this story. There's been like multiple video games called Cthulhu. Dark Corners of the Earth is based off Shadows Over Innsmouth. The Metallica song, Thing That Should Not Be, is based on Shadow Over Innsmouth, and it's actually what got me into reading Lovecraft in the first place. Hell yeah. It's continually readapted. And this movie, I don't want to say too much about the overall plot, you know, plot points and stuff right now. There are some major differences, but not many. This story is actually harkens really close to the story that's presented in the novella. Yeah. Which um, is really cool, man. I really enjoy that aspect of it. I actually read most, reread most of the novella before you made it over today. Nice. I'm about 85% of the way through, and then we started doing the episode. I was listening to it. Uh, I've read it a no, <laughs> I've read it a number of times in the past, though. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm very familiar with the story. I guess before we go into the warnings, in case you end up checking out this movie, which I would recommend you do. I really enjoyed it. Nice. I'm yeah. going to say I'm going to hold back a little bit and save more of my thoughts for the next section. If it gets you interested in reading Lovecraft and you never have before, I've gone to say the first warning is although it's one of Lovecraft's best stories and highlights a few things that even he wasn't comfortable with doing, it does have a protracted action sequence which is actually really well recreated in the film. It's not exactly recreated by any means, but the tension and the action are all there. He wasn't comfortable with doing action, and yet it plays out marvelously. 
the hard part of being a Lovecraft fan is he was racist. Yeah, we've mentioned that <laughs> a few times, which is we've mentioned no it in the past a little bit, but we've haven't really had any stories that really tie into it the yeah. way that this one does. Yeah, I was reading a little bit, and I know how he likes to use references to maybe I don't know to features from people. An overarching theme in Lovecraft's life and in his works was kind of a fear of impurities in the blood being passed along. That did manifest racially for him, very unfortunately, but it was also born from the fact that both of his parents died of late-stage syphilis. Damn. Yeah. So, like, impurities in the blood was a thing that from a very early age was something that scared him a lot. Well, I can imagine. He was most... Oh, my God. He's such an interesting character, besides the racism. <laughs> <laughs> if you can look past that bit, yeah. Was a bit of a child prodigy, could read and write epic poetry by the age of three. Damn. <laughs> but suffered greatly from, like, night terrors, horrible nightmares, was, like, raised by his aunt. He did come up in a day and age where racism was a bit more tolerated, obviously, when yeah. we go back in history, when that happens. At, yeah, when he grew up. But right, he yeah. was even a little bit racist for the time period, as evidenced more by his notes than his writings. His writings, for the most part, aren't much worse than other examples you can pick out from the time I would period. Agree with that, yeah. The problem is, is that it keeps coming up time and time again. <laughs> <laughs> kind of harps on it a little bit. And... This story is just another one we've touched on before where there's secrets and impurities in the blood that get passed down that become a problem. And because this movie harkens so closely to the source material, you can still pick up those themes if you know they're there. But I would say that one of the better things about this movie is like it's not as apparent as it is in the novel. Because you're not getting all the inner narration of what the character is actually thinking about and how he's speculating about <laughs> what could be causing some of the stuff that he is seeing before him. So that's kind of a warning for both going into Lovecraft, but also if you already know that about Lovecraft, you can still pick out those themes in this movie. I mean, it's not very obvious. Like, you kind of have to know that that's what it's already about. Otherwise, yeah. it just plays more like a weird cult horror. Yeah, the more that you know about H.P. Lovecraft and what you were mentioning his background, then some of those crossovers would be a little bit more apparent. Oh, and when I was looking up information on this, I stumbled across a review that wasn't something that would have jumped out to me to begin with. But now that it was pointed out to me, it's something I can't unnotice about this film. One of the warnings we should include is that this film is not very kind to women. No, it's not. It's not very kind to women. We should point out, too, that it is a little gory. It's a bit gory. The practical effects in this are pretty good yeah, when they're used. I and there's one scene towards that. the end that is fucking pretty fucking insane. <laughs> yeah, I liked it. <laughs> that looked good. By good, I mean disgusting. And by disgusting, and by disgusting mean I mean it was pretty gory, so be aware of be that. Be aware, yeah. It's much later in the film, but we both know what we're talking about here. <laughs> and also be aware that as we get into the next section, I am going to continue to talk about Lovecraft because I just, it. yeah, 
I just didn't know what I could say that would be considered spoilery or not yeah. in this section. Understandable. But for everybody else... So that's another warning. If yeah. you don't want to hear me nerd out about Lovecraft, <laughs> that's about to happen. Oh, I mean, we're going to fangirl out. It's no big deal. But outside of that, as far as some of your warnings, just your basics, some violence, some language. Yeah, language, nudity. Yeah, there's some boobs, nice boobs in this. I should say Implied rape. Yeah, no doubt. There is that. I mean, you already alluded to the fact that this is not kind to women, so... I don't want to say too much about that yeah, until we, we get into the next section, too, because but that's you should al- at least, also spoilery. Right. You should at least know that that's what this film... Not that it's, like, overly exploitative or anything. It's just that's what it deals with. No, but, yeah, if you're looking for that, then this isn't going to be for you. Yeah, exactly. You might be a little miffed about that. And honestly, I, I know some people that wouldn't care for this movie because of how I it treats women. that. And it's just not something that I would have noticed because I was more looking to see how it adapted the source material because that's what I was. Likewise, I wasn't thinking anything with. outside of that. But for me, it still doesn't do any like. Harm. It doesn't detract from it because right. that's not it's its kind main... of the norm for yeah. some of these horror movies. Totally but agree. It's maybe unfortunate that it comes with the territory, but that's kind of <laughs> what happens when you have these extra characters. It is happens. that bad things happen to them? Sorry. But at the same time, like, there are cases to be made of why this is really bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so with that, I believe it's a good, strong warning. And now I think that's half of like, an episode right there is just I, our warning. It's okay, though. I mean, it's, I think it's appropriate, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. You know. So with that being said, Dagon 2001, time to squeal. God, what's happening to me? God, where am I? Why am I hearing these things? Oh God, what, what's going on? Oh Jesus, come on! Oh my God, what's what's going on? Where where am I? Oh gee, why why? Come on, somebody, somebody! Ah, come on, come on, come on! Come on, somebody! Sir, come on, somebody, somebody's there! Somebody's got to be there! I will shock you! Come on, sir, come on, sir, you must listen to me. Sir, I only have one question. How does that make you squeal? Yeah. Now we're here squealing about Dagon. Yeah, so for those who are unfamiliar, we're about to give you all kinds of nice spoilers. Ooh, so I guess there's a couple things that I kind of want to get to right away, but I guess the first thing that we'll get to is that I hadn't seen it before. Nice. And that was kind of the pitch for me. I was like, I kind of have a feeling you hadn't. But I know you're familiar with H.P. Lovecraft, so this shouldn't be any surprise. I tend to be kind of picky about what Lovecraft-inspired things that I watch and I don't, because it's really hard to get right. I agree. There's a lot to cover. But this movie... Ooh, so how am I going to say this? I loved this movie. Awesome, dude. I'm glad to hear that. (laughs) Even for its faults. It does have faults. There's no doubt. Even for the way it deviated from Lovecraft... It was still its own kind of fun for me. And it was a lot more humorous and a lot more campy than I thought it was going to be in just the right ways, I think, for me. (laughs) I think it just hit all the right beats at the right time. And I could understand where if somebody else saw it, those things might turn them off because they're a little bit incongruous to the rest of the overall feel of the film. It kind of all felt right to me because it felt like other Stuart Gordon things that I saw. So, And I think that's the thing that had it been somebody else directing this perhaps or writing this, you probably wouldn't get the same effect. I just think that these guys have a really good teamwork where they can pull these kind of different things together and still make it homogenous. 
You know, you're right. There's bits of dark humor. There's some campiness, of course. The main actor kind of based his character off of a kind of a campy, almost Mr. Magooish kind of character. <laughs> so there you go. But what I do want to mention, though, is the reason why I pitched this to you. I mean, outside of the fact, of course, H.P. Lovecraft influence, but this is one I picked up in 2002 as a part of getting into film collecting. I ran across it at Best Buy, picked it up, watched it with a buddy of mine, and I was like, man, this is really good. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's one of those that for the most part feels like a direct-to-video, but that's no slap in the face of this film. It just doesn't feel like a huge budgeted theatrical release per se. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't take anything away from it. I just, I liked it all the way through the first time I'd seen it. Now, it's one I don't watch a lot, but on occasion I do like to throw this in. Dude, I heartily guffawed out loud at a few parts in this movie, which was something I was not expecting to do, and yet still appreciate some of the different horror things that it did. It didn't keep me fully entranced as much as I wanted it to. There was a couple times when I was watching it last night where I paused it just to see how much longer I had left. I did that a lot. <laughs> I know what you mean. And this morning, I was kind of able to zone out and watch it and read the book at the same time. Which I guess isn't the hallmark of, like, the best movie ever. Right, but still. But it was one that I was immediately that comfortable with, I guess. And I knew that the parts that are highlights are highlighted enough that it was immediately going to break my attention back up to it. And the parts that are highlights are fucking gold. Oh my <laughs> nice. god, some of the shit is so fucking funny in this. And it really does, like, it does a good job of adapting the book without having to listen to the narrator of the book. Yeah, which I think that's really cool, is that you can take something that's more of an introspective or a story that's told in hindsight, whereas this is, you're in the action, you're in the thick of it. There's one other thing I wanted to get to right away, partially just to get the ugly shit out of the way. <laughs> I want to point out... I guess, the difference between this and the book and some of the differences, but some of it requires giving away the ending. This is the spoiler section, Yeah. but we're just going to start with the ending. I'm okay with that. And that is, surprise, surprise, your boy, fuck, what's Paul his Marsh name? Paul Marsh in the film. Paul Marsh is a hybrid deep one. He's the half-brother to the chick that he keeps seeing in Usha. Ushia Kambaro. Yeah, I didn't want to mention her last name during the Guts and Bolts, but that's who she is. And that's a huge name, of course, in that village. And they're destined to be together, and he's going to start gradually turning into one of the fish people as well. Now, <laughs> that being said, as he's going around town and running into these odd-looking people, which this film does an amazing job of adapting really the Innsmouth look, as described in the novella. The difference is, he gets to run around and just be horrified and not know what's going on and know that it's just tied to a cult. The reason I gave that warning for reading Lovecraft before is because, oh, he uses phrases like wondering if they have a blood stain and realizing that the abnormalities that he's seeing, although he understands why one would think that they were simply mixed with foreigners, he would guess his wording is uh, biological degeneracy rather than alienage. Wow. This is constant where he's being like, well, they don't quite look like Negroids. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I was getting at earlier. It's like They're not that... quite Levantines. Yeah, I mean, it's like, Jesus oh, but this, Christ. Oh, but the religion they brought did come from the cannibals in the South Pacific. It's like, damn, dude, really? <laughs> what else does he fucking mention? Levantines? Should be Middle Easterners. Yeah, exactly. 
So, I mean, it's pretty obvious when you understand the references and how he uses it and just the language, like you said. One thing that is kind of interesting is that despite all of that racism, the creatures themselves, if you look just beyond that horseshit, they're still pretty fucking scary and will give anybody the heebie-jeebies. Now, as far as the creatures go, they did an amazing job with most of the creatures on adapting pretty much exactly the way that they're described in the novella. The main difference being this movie seems to play up the connection to Cthulhu a lot without ever fully explaining it, which is one of the weird parts. I could see how that might even leave somebody like wondering. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because like even their chanting mentions Cthulhu, but I mean, even the name of the movie is Dagon. Yeah. And everything seems to be centered around Dagon. So that is explored more in the novella. And in case you've never read the novella and have seen the movie and are wondering what's going on, the Deep Ones, which are the fish people, the fully done fish people, worship Father Dagon, Mother Hydra, and Cthulhu. Sometimes the Dread Cthulhu, sometimes the Great Cthulhu, so on and so forth. There is a little bit of debate between Lovecraft historians especially because of how Call the Cthulhu interacts with the older story Dagon, which this is not based on. Right. It just so happens to be titled the same. Just happens to be titled I mean, the same. There are very slight references, very slight. But, the, yeah, you're right. This is more about the Shadow of Rainsmith. Yeah. The story Dagon, there's parts in it that seem to directly describe the fish people, the deep ones, that are in the Shadow of Rainsmith. However, the story Dagon is done early enough and isn't overt enough to actually be considered a part of the Cthulhu mythos. As far as the Cthulhu mythos goes, there's a little bit of debate on whether the Deep Ones actually worship Dagon, or if Dagon is the name given to Cthulhu by the people trying to interpret what the Deep Ones are telling them. Because they can only talk to the Deep Ones via hand sign language until they turn into one themselves. Damn. So there's a chance that Dagon doesn't even exist, and it's simply the biblical parallel that Obed Marsh drew to compare worship to Cthulhu itself. I mean, it does make sense when you think about it. I do know a little bit about what Dagon means in like Assyrian and some of the stuff that was practiced in ancient Arabia at that time. But you're right, it was a water deity. I think some of it was even attributed to like grain and fertility. The earliest portions of the name seem to be attributed to grain. And there is, however, a long history of it being sort of a fish god. Because right. the name Dagon, and I believe the Dag part of the name, was like the word for fish or something. So even if it wasn't a god of fish, over time, because of fish being literally in the name people might have conflated the two a bit. That was taken to be fact for a good portion of the early 20th century, I believe, though there's never been any super hard evidence to support that. Right. Basically, what we told you is, I think they know for sure, is that it might be kind of one of the fish gods that we theorized, Yeah. but it for sure probably had something to do with the grain. I can understand that. Stuff gets lost in translation. It's what we do. <laughs> So this movie does seem to play up the Cthulhu part of it, even though they keep mentioning Dagon over right. and over again. Sense, yeah. And so some of the townspeople, instead of turning into fish frog people, as described in the novella, 
are developing tentacles, much like Cthulhu. They never explain the chanting, but Ia Ia Cthulhu Fatag is Ia Ia Cthulhu Dreams, which is a shortened form of a longer phrase, which I don't think I can actually say, but is extremely famous from the actual story called the Cthulhu. Oh, it shows up in Shadow Over Innsmouth as well. The drunk character, the Ezekiel character, Zardok right. Allen says it. Oh my god, this is going to sound like a mess, but if you look on it on paper, it's, it's it. an even bigger mess. I know what you mean. Finglui Mulnafu Cthulhu Rillie Wiganagal Fatang, which is, in his house at Rillie, dead Cthulhu lies dreaming. It's mentioned that he's dead. God, I'm going to explain the Cthulhu mythos right now. <laughs> it's said that he's dead. Cthulhu is a multidimensional entity who currently lies dormant in a sunken underwater city in the Pacific Ocean called Rillia. His state of dormancy is so deep and different from what us humans can understand that the only word that we would have for it would be death. However, this ties back into a passage from the mad Arab Abdul al-Hazared, so Necronomicon, <laughs> which we've talked about a number of times, yeah, which contains the phrase, that which is not dead may eternal lie, and with strange aeons even death may die. And it is said that when certain cosmic alignments happen, it causes Cthulhu to rise from his slumber, basically. Being such a powerful multidimensional entity, his very presence here on Earth and his state lying dead but dreaming right. is actually one of the sources of constant background anxiety for the entire human race and causes random cults to spawn <laughs> across the world and affects the nightmares of those particularly susceptible to his dreams and stuff. Wow. It's heavy. <laughs> now, although it's called the Cthulhu Mythos, though, right. he's not the most important being or the most powerful in the mythos. And that gets really complicated. He's simply the most well-known, and so it's kind of named after him. Yeah, and I can understand that, too. I mean, also, I accidentally let this die, so... Nah, no worries. Yeah, because we are talking about Lovecraft, this film, because it does a really good job of translating it back to, you kind of have to know a little bit of the background, at least to understand this film. And you don't have to know that much, but I just fucking just told little, you yeah. anyway. But it's still nice to know. I mean, despite, you know, levels of interest, I suppose... I still find it fascinating, man. It's heavy. Also, just to tie back into the novella, the character's name in this movie is a dead giveaway for the ending because they name him Paul Marsh. Right. Marsh is the family in the novella that started it all off, basically. The captain character in this, Kambaro, yeah. that's basically what Obed Marsh did, just in a very shortened version. Precisely. Now, the cool thing about that, too is even without giving too much away, I suppose, but this is a dead giveaway in the film, is like you just mentioned, is that he finds out that he's actually a half-hybrid. He's one of the, the deep ones, man. And another thing, Innsmouth, Imboka. Yeah, Imboka. Imboka is in mouth. In mouth, boca, mouth. Yeah. So yeah, makes sense, man. I like that too. Now, we did talk about the Camaro and the reason why they use that name it's because that's the place they filmed it in. Kambara, yeah. yeah. which I thought was really cool. So, I mean, they're um, paying a lot of homages. What else? He's wearing a Miskatonic University, sweater, yeah, which dude, is awesome. Miskatonic U, which is a huge Lovecraft shout-out. Yeah, dude. Reanimator takes place at Miskatonic, doesn't it? It does. Yep. And I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I wanted to point out that they did, like, perfectly. Nothing that pops up off the top of my head. 
but they did a good job in adapting the story. There's the differences, though, but they established the differences right off the bat because it's just a single person traveling in the book. Right. Yeah. And it's a story that's being told about the past, not one that's currently happening. And the story only happens because he's trying to travel cheaply rather than being out on a pleasure cruise because their stock just went through the roof and they're now millionaires. I know, right? <laughs> and I kind of like that right off the bat, this movie distinguishes itself like that. Because there's the one other thing that this movie chose to do that goes against Lovecraft, but works for this movie because of the people they had working on it. And that the most horrific parts and scary parts of a Lovecraft book are because he makes you imagine things. His writing style is very unique. You can almost always tell when it's something Lovecraft that you're reading. I was trying to think of a way to put this earlier. His descriptions are weird. I'm trying to think of how to put this. They're complex, yet they're as much to the point as he can be. He had a very extensive vocabulary that he liked to show off. But he showed it off because he was using those words very carefully to describe very certain parts of whatever he's describing because the rest of it is indescribable. And that's where the horror starts to seep in. This movie does a lot of showing us. Yeah. Like we said, it gets gory. But it works because they had great fucking effects on this movie. <laughs> yeah. Which is a surprise as far as the film goes. You don't really get that sense that you're going to see something like that. And then when it does, it kind of gobsmacks you. And as much as I like Stuart Gordon flicks, I don't trust him to give me a mind-bending terror movie. No, just... I'd want something that tried to adapt that part of right. Lovecraft being done mean. by somebody else. Yeah. No, you're right. I think with Gordon, he does like to use the humor, use things that are more in your face and more visceral. That's what I was going to say, yeah. visceral. Yeah. And this is a more visceral telling, but humorous. It is. I mean, <laughs> there are a few moments where I'm like, I forgot that he said that. Like, this is funny, and the things they do are kind of humorous. And now that we've given away the ending, let's start going through this movie, okay. especially because the first thing that made me laugh was how bad that fucking title was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I will say, I was thinking about this, right? and the part of what I want to say is that I can forgive it because I understand the technology from that time period, right? We're old enough to have gone through that, where that was kind of like, I suppose, cutting edge in a way. <laughs> Not that I say it is, but for that time period, you know. But now it's like, oh, that's, it is kind of rough. It kind of bleeds through, no puns intended, a few times in this film. Some of the special effects where it's like, yeah, that was definitely from the early 2000s. All caps in my notes, bad CG. <laughs> Every time they use CG in this movie, it does not Yeah, it wasn't great good. at all. Except Dagan looked all right. No, I had no problems with him, but for Dagan looked all the right. boat sequences and the blood kind of, you know. I, I was mean? even, the blood, I laughed a little bit because of how bad it looked at first. But then I was like, I don't know how else you would have done, like, trying to point out that it's leading this specific <laughs> yeah. trail, though. Like, you I, have to I get of, them yeah. doing it, but fuck, it looks bad. <laughs> yeah, but you're right. It doesn't do enough to take you out of the film. It's just like, it's not that bad, but. And I guess that's the one other thing I was disappointed by was this is a more visceral retelling rather than a mental horror retelling. Right. But with that, from the first gore we see with the skin hanging up, I instantly went, 
why wasn't there more people on that boat? I want more victims. <laughs> Given, yeah. If this is what they're going to give us for gore, then fucking really show it off. Yeah, it's kind of leather face. And especially yeah. because they're all kind of fucking dickwads. Damn. I didn't like any of the characters that much. The one I liked the most, and only by the end of it, was Paul. Yeah, he's not bad. But there were our parts of this film where I'm like, man, he's acting like a little bitch. Oh, my God. In his defense, I want to say one of the things this movie made me wish that we had was a reanimator reboot starring Ezra. I think he would make an amazing Dr. West. I think he brought a lot of that same kind of energy that we saw in reanimator from Jeffrey Combs. From Jeffrey Combs. And I mean, we are talking about this movie 17 years later, but I've seen some pictures of Ezra and he's kind of baby faced. So I think he could still pull off the sort of age range needed for for a reanimator reboot. If they wanted to go that direction. And if you rebooted it and stayed closer to the original story, which takes place over a number of years, the fact that he is older would make it not very hard to then age him up throughout all the sequences to keep the That's same a actor. Point, yeah. Just throwing out that idea. There you go. Because it's freebie. <laughs> I could see him pulling that off. You know, if he wanted to play that role, I think he would be a good Herbert West. I guess I wanted to point out, I didn't know how much I wanted to get into it in the previous section. In Dreams in the Witch House, he plays Walter Gilman. In the story Shadow over Innsmouth, the Gilmans are one of the well-bred families that would have intermixed with the Deep Ones. However, there is nothing in Lovecraft's notes to indicate that he's of the same Gilman stock. He might have been a Gilman from a different town. However, Shadow over Innsmouth does cross over with the story The Thing on the Doorstep, because Azenith Waite is one of the Waits who were also native to Innsmouth, and she's actually described as having parts of the Innsmouth look. Nice. Lovecraft doing it up with the interconnected universe in the early 1900s. Yeah, I mean, he was thinking big. <laughs> and it's crazy because a lot of this shit does get referenced back and forth. I'm going to go off on another Lovecraft tangent really Can't quick, it. but it's tied in because it involves the story Dagon. As we said, not really represented in this movie at all. However, the later story called The Cthulhu is basically just a retelling of Dagon. Dagon was like one of the first things he had published, and Call of Cthulhu is just more a more mature, well thought out, and longer version of kind of the same story. Yeah. And so there's a chance that he actually referenced it. <laughs> At yeah. the end of Dagon, the story is revealed to be the suicide letter of the narrator, mm-hmm. and he kills himself by throwing himself out a window. And at the beginning of Call of the Cthulhu, the inspector, one of the newspaper clippings that he has is of a suicide of someone who threw themselves out a window. <laughs> Go figure, right? <laughs> Interconnected universe and self-reference. Fucking callback for the win, Lovecraft. <laughs> <laughs> Cha-ching. <laughs> anyway, sorry, that was a slightly connected tangent. But... That's so pretty cool. Yeah. Nice, man. I was going somewhere, though, in the bigger scheme of things, wasn't I? I think eventually. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> It's this fucking Sunset Sherbert. (laughs) We're having fun. Oh, so Ezra was great. He was a great find for me. None of the characters were all that likable. And I've been through some shit in my life where that's made me really question what kind of happiness am I seeking, all that sort of thing. I've never been so in it when I've had a million dollars and a chick going down on me that I'd be so (laughs) stupid as to fuck that up. (laughs) 
You know, <laughs> that's where I was getting at with some of the, he's a little bitch, right? Whereas in this film, it starts off where, you know, he has that dream sequence, snaps out of it, he's on vacation with a little baby doll, and all I can think about is his stocks and that kind of nonsense. You're right. He blew his chance, literally. And then she throws his laptop into the ocean. Oh, my God. (laughs) At that That point. That was a dick move. Oh, my God. Especially because, like, yeah, he was being kind of a little bitch about worrying about it and shit while they're out having fun and stuff. But he did make a good point of, like, this seems weird and out of place, and our shit's jumped up out of nowhere, and I got to monitor this to make sure that we're not in the poorhouse the next day. Yeah. It's like the least you can do is just go up there. And just, just give them, be like, okay, you got 15 minutes to figure this out, and then you come have fun. Yeah. Because him doing that very well is what's paying for that trip to begin with. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I totally concur with that. His behavior didn't warrant her reaction of throwing out something that was vital to their whole trip in the first place. They were both insanely unlikable at the get-go, though. I right. do like him by the end of the movie, but... Yeah, I mean, he's likable enough throughout the story where it's like you're kind of pulling for him. It's like you want to see the bad stuff, but you don't want it to happen to him. The other two are just as insufferable, though. As soon as they get up there, I didn't give a shit about fucking Howard or Vicky. Vicky. Yeah. That's why I'm like, give me more people, because if they're going to give me such good practical effects, then kill everybody. (laughs) Fucking kill them all. (laughs) I mean, the town was ripe for the picking. Yeah. All that shit goes down, they get onto land, and I realized we might have ran into a whole new category of horror. Dirty room horror. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. That scene is really good. Where, yeah, where he checks in, it says right after Barbara gets abducted, he's coming back from not finding Howard and Vicky, and when he gets that room, nothing works, the lights don't work, he goes in the bathroom, it's... he's Unfortunately like- <laughs> works? <laughs> Oh, he's like, oh, yeah. So, you know, he's about to puke. He goes back in the bedroom. This is what you're alluding to. He checks the bed because I think he's ready to lay down. And as soon as he throws covers open. Dude, that bed can go so fast, racing stripe like that. (laughs) Oh, my God. I was thinking that, too. I mean, it's a huge setup. It's raining inside of the fucking room. The lock doesn't work, but it's already open. I mean, everything's awry. Something is not right. It's seriously like the room <laughs> version of body horror. Yeah, it kind of is. It really is. And he says like something to the effect of like, no, fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> he has some pretty funny quips. I'll give him that throughout this film. That's uh, one of them. He gets out of there. I like the way that they build a little bit of stress and tension with the lock. Because it was like, how asinine really is that? Like, there's no lock, and he's got this little Swiss Army knife. <laughs> Dude, and they're every, building tension every through that. time he brought out that Swiss Army knife, I fucking lost it a little bit. I was it like, is this funny. is the greatest. If you have it, and that's all you have, that's the same thing I'd be fucking doing. But it's so ridiculous. <laughs> Especially his interactions with Ezekiel with the knife. Don't make me stab you. That's the part that I kind of wish was a little bit closer to the book because Ezekiel doesn't start talking to the narrator in the book until they'd been drinking together for like almost two hours. He has to open up, takes a few bottles. And that's the thing, he drains almost the entire bottle of whiskey and still isn't even like starting to slur his words yet, but then he finally starts to open up. Like, Yeah, when you do, I mean, that's what happens. Like, oh my God, yeah. Anyway, so... We have the room, that shit was... Oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's great. His escape too, jumping out the window. Yeah, the jumping out the window was cool, but it looked very painful. Oh yeah, I mean he would have shattered something. I, That's where he learns like where the dried up fucking skinnings of people are happening. Dude, I was just like fucking Leatherface would be proud as a motherfucker. I know, I was about to allude to that earlier. I was like, that feels like fucking Texas Chainsaw Massacre shit right there. It felt very Texas stuff. Chainsaw. It was good. Well, with some of what we'd seen already, it felt a little bit more Texas Chainsaw too. Yeah. But <laughs> Yeah. But I do like when he discovers that Howard's not alive anymore. He's just drying out. It's like, oh, damn, that's pretty good. I did kind of know that was coming as soon as we saw the other skins, Yeah, though. you couldn't help. Here's as soon I as you saw it well enough to be like, oh, that's a human skin, you're like, yeah. oh, Howard's going to be there. Howard's fucked. <laughs> <laughs> I talked about the reason why he was named Howard. Because of HP Lovecraft. Yeah, Howard I mean, Phillips Lovecraft. Yeah, pretty obvious. But outside of that, when he finally gets out of that whole situation, he encounters Ezekiel for the first time, and they go in that little crawl space. There was somebody in that village that reminded me of somebody from a different movie. It really has nothing to do with this, but I just find the humor in it. So when they bump into each other, he's covering his mouth, Paul is, and they go in that crawl space. You see that crippled guy coming down the street? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I could not help me. I have no legs. <laughs> I have no legs. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't help but think of the guy from Kids. But that was kind of creepy a little bit later on when he has that little car wreck. He stalls out and he starts getting choked out. <laughs> and that guy's crawling right behind the vehicle. Right. <laughs> it's like they could have gone a little campier with that. I loved him escaping after he sets the fire by grabbing the skin drying frame <laughs> and just so running funny. out into the crowd. I had to fucking pause it because I'm like, if something important happens after this, I'm not going to be able to pay attention because I'm smiling too hard. Yeah. This is me. And then I that's realized funny. that's actually a lot more true He's to the again. novel than I initially thought. He doesn't start a fire and like grab a skin frame. <laughs> there are portions in the chase sequence where he's running into residents of the town and he's just far enough ahead of them getting organized that he can blend in. Right, exactly. Take on some of their traits. All he does is have to Limps shamble shit, a little yeah. bit. And so I'm like, that's actually oddly... <laughs> like, they found a way to spin it and make it funny, but it's mostly ad like oddly on that he's able to get close to a couple of them and still make his escape. I thought that was really funny, too, given the fact that they were more concerned about saving those skin frames <laughs> than anything else. Yeah, that is really funny. So, for the most part, there's a lot of makeup done in this movie to give people, like, the Innsmouth look of the gradual turn into a deep one. And the captain never would have had the Innsmouth look because he was a human through and through. Right. He just ended up fucking a fish. <laughs> yeah, he did. Did you think he looked out of place still, though, to you? Because to me, when they did the flashback to the captain, which should have been even more old-timey, yeah. it kind of looked like he just got back from, like, a lit concert. <laughs> Yeah, I know what you're saying. I could have seen that. He could have been a, like at a stain show or something. Who knows? But yeah. He was, was ready just, for a revolution. Is he what was it high, like. right? <laughs> but I was like, okay, whatever. I'll buy it. I'm like, I'm sure there was guys that were like rocking the look like that. I know it's supposed to be kind of like a maybe a sailor but look. But he just doesn't look old timey to me. No, no, no. You're right. He, he looked, looks out of place. He looks like he's in the 2000, early 2000 alt rock scene. <laughs> he would have fit right in. Could have been the bassist. 
<laughs> but no, I do feel that a little bit. But what I do like about this, and this is something that thinking about it in the way they depict it too, is like, whoa, that's blasphemy. It could be in a lot of people's eyes is the destruction of all the Jesus relics and stuff inside the church. <laughs> it's like, wow, they, they went that route. Uh, no, we're down with Dagon. I'll point out that in the novella, the main church was they took over from the Freemasons, Ooh. though they did eventually take over the rest of the churches in town, though they seem to sort of subvert them and sort of try to keep the same names. And it's hinted at that the narrator, when he's talked to other pastors, or when characters that the narrator talks to that are non-native from the town have described their pastors of their own congregations of saying to not follow their teachings. <laughs> Damn. Damn. It's slightly more insidious in a way, but yeah. everyone still knew what was going on. Like, There's some other shit that happens in the novella that I don't want to quite give away, but if you were anywhere in the region, <laughs> you knew that bad shit happened there. So, mm. Yeah, you don't go messing That was just sort of as much as they would say about it. <laughs> Right. So what were some of the things that stood out to you in this film that, I don't know, maybe recommend to people who are not fans of HP? Like I've already said, is that this is a more palatable telling. It doesn't show off the mastery that Lovecraft had with language and the way he's able to describe things, including like weirdly like architecture and jewelry. Uh, jewelry actually plays a big part of the novella. And some of the narrator's first encounters with understanding what's going on in the town. Mm -hmm. And his descriptions of even the intricate jewelry that the priests and stuff are wearing almost make it seem like he's getting so entranced by just studying the designs that they're almost moving and coming to life in front of him. But without ever saying that he thinks that they're moving and coming to life in front of them. It's just the way that they're being described. Yeah. This movie does not do any of that. This movie, like we said, relies on the visceral part of it. Right. Something more tangible. <clears throat> Unfortunately, a lot of the narrator's fears in the novella that you also have to put up with are racially motivated, <laughs> as we've pointed out. And so this is a more palatable version. I would agree with um, that. Just missing... It's just unfortunately missing some of what made Lovecraft worth being remembered. Yeah, precisely. Because if he wasn't able to do everything else as insanely well as he was able to, mm -hmm. he wouldn't be remembered because he would have just been a racist writer. <laughs> yeah, given. No Instead, doubt. like things like the World Fantasy Award were literally created at a convention in his honor. Like, yeah. And his influence on horror is almost untold. There's so much shit that references. You know, that's kind we, of the fun thing. It's we talk a lot about like Stephen King, but we're going to be doing more so because of H.P. Lovecraft and Poe and people of that nature. I mean, you have to think even when we were mentioning Ash versus Evil Dead in the news, and I didn't even think about the fact that one of the big parts of the Evil Dead is the Necronomicon, <laughs> a yeah. Lovecraft invention. Hello. Yeah. Exactly. You know, there's something a little bit too reminded because we did it recently was kind of the build up or maybe even the setup of like the Wicker Man where there is, is a detective flying into this port town and here we have some shipwrecked people coming into a port town. Now, you know, these films, of course, diverge, but they still have that pagan occult feel. They still have 
this like weird happening going on that is of that nature. It's very much a mystery story. Yeah. Still. It certainly um, is. It's not the kind of cerebral mystery that Lovecraft does. That's not so much a mystery. He just does. But I know what you mean. You know, he does I, leave a lot to the imagination. Mm-hmm. But it's still a mystery because you don't quite know what's going on unless you do know the original story. Yeah. Yeah. You have to know your history. Oh, the other thing I would say that's, this doesn't have to do with Lovecraft, but something that, I mean, should drive people to this movie is I'd say there's a lot more people that have seen either Dead Alive or Reanimator than this movie. And if you like either of those, you should give this a try. Oh, yeah. It brings a lot of the same energy, even though I don't consider it to be as good as either of those. It's also not as extreme as either of those and tells a more straightforward story. It's a little bit harder to compare, in my opinion, but I believe it brings a lot of the same energy as both of those movies. I would agree. This one, I do feel like, for the most part, if you're familiar, like we just named a few films, but this is kind of one of those that are very hidden, unless you were kind of privy to it during that time period when it first came out. This is kind of still flying under the radar, man. And if you don't believe my fucking Dead Alive and how it brings that sort of energy, then I ask you, where the fuck did Barbara get those karate moves at? (laughs) I'm glad you said that. (laughs) That kind of reminds me a little bit of Dead Alive. I mean, it's like you said, it's I kick ass for the Lord. Dude, Uh, that's immediately what I thought. I was like, she's kicking ass for the Lord. Yeah. She didn't say it, but she is. She sprung that shit on these guys. Like... She hits one guy with the elbow, and then bam, she does a Bruce Lee on him. But then I started wondering, I'm like, why did she get, how did she get captured in the first place? Bitch can throw down. I know. <laughs> you should let her guard down. <laughs> uh, I think she was shooken up, because at yeah. that point, we knew that tentacle rape was a possibility. <laughs> oh, she already told Paul, like, if that happens to me, you gotta promise me you're gonna kill me. I'm like, whoa, that's pretty heavy. <laughs> Ooh, so let's pop into that end part. <laughs> when she comes back up, after being dunked down... Mm-hmm. She's like, kill me, you promised me, because of the line you yeah, just no, mentioned. Yeah, right. That's, what you, that's exactly what she says to him. Is Dagon a fucking minute man? She was only down there for like 90 seconds at the most. All he's got to do is get his black ooze on you. <laughs> and she was covered in the ooze, and I'm like, ooh, is ooze fucking... Sperm, maybe? Right? Did we... He's dumping huge loads. <laughs> if that's the case. We saw it earlier in the film as well. We just didn't know it. But, I mean... It's ink because the octopus and they're playing up Cthulhu, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly why. But still, oh my god, the fucking lines all associated with what was coming up and the fact that that was going to happen. Fuck Dagon. (laughs) Yes, Yes. and the child would be immortal. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. It's like, yes, that's the whole point. (laughs) And that's another thing that I, oh my god, I fucking lost it at that line too. Fuck Dagon. Yes. (laughs) One thing I like too... They're kind of a little parallels to each other. Is Ezekiel is explaining or trying to explain to Paul what happened to Vicky? Oh like, yeah, he have her, he take her, he fuck her. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, that's what's happening. She's got a little Dagon baby in her belly, and then she commits harikari on herself. Oof! I was like, oh yeah, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, that I forgot good. about that. <laughs> that was good. What I wasn't expecting was Ezekiel's face coming off. I know. I will say this. The lead into that, it's kind of, you don't see it because some of the effects are like, ah, it looks a little cheesy, like some of the blood effects. Mm-hmm. So the way they cut, it's like, ah. But yeah, when they start ripping, <laughs> that's a different story. Oof. It's like, they ripped his whole fucking face off. <laughs> it was gory. It kind of harkens back a little bit to like 
not necessarily what we see a lot of in martyrs, but it kind of made me feel that way a little bit. Like, that's some martyr shit right there. This is maybe a little weird, but, I mean, I've gone hunting in my life. I've skinned animals, and I'm wondering if the priest was intentionally making it harder on himself, because if you're going to go skin something, you get yourself a skinning knife, you make it a lot easier than just ripping it off. Yeah, yeah. With how much effort he was putting into it, there's things he could have cut underneath there that would have made it come up a lot easier. Oh, than yeah, that. yeah, yeah. You think a lot of it's just the effect? And I mean, and there's some that, yeah, it's it's for the effect. Nice. It's obviously, yeah, but... Oh, man, I totally forgot that it went that graphic. Oh, and I was, as soon as they started, I'm like, okay, this is going to be... And then I'm like, oh, they're still showing it. Oh, they're still showing it. Oh, that's fucking... <laughs> He's <dope."> still screaming. <laughs> yeah. Fucking A, poor Ezekiel. No doubt. But, uh, you know, he told Paul, man, he, he thanked him for letting him remember about his parents. That was pretty heavy. Yeah. That fuck, dream sequence. Yeah. Yeah, you want this face? Come and get it. <laughs> Come on, motherfucker. <laughs> this is what death is like. Oh, my and then he God. he disembowels the priest. That what looked he? good, man. That looked good. We talked a little bit about the desk receptionist. I didn't want to mention him because, for as little as he does, he might be the creepiest person in the entire film, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't know. I still might give it up to old fucking no legs. I have no legs. <laughs> I like that. I mean, yeah, he does give you that, the heebie-jeebies. I just feel like that desk receptionist, he just stares, doesn't give any response, but he'll snatch our ass out real quick. Okay. Ultimately, after my second viewing of this, though, knowing the end twist with Ushia and everything. Also, like, Ushia and none of the women are in the novella, I should point out, and that's probably partially why they ended up getting treated so horribly in this movie. Because if you think about it, there's only three chicks in this movie. They all end up naked. Yes, they do. Two of them get raped. And they lose appendages. And lose appendages. (laughs) One kills herself. Yeah. The other presumably is a prisoner that's going to have the baby. That's the only thing I can guess from her ending. Because there's no reason for there to want to them to want to kill her no, and i think they're I, gonna sew her up before she bleeds out you're right i think if they were able to that's do rough. that for vicky for vicky yeah then i think they're gonna be able that's to do point. the same for her that's like man they're just using these women so they <laughs> so they're gonna have some fucking fury road a morton joe shit going on with her which is <laughs> fucked up enough as it is <laughs> but then the only other chick is usha who only exists in this story to get impregnated by her half-brother. Yeah, I mean, some incest shit right there. That's how this movie doesn't treat women well. But it leads me to my final question about this movie. Right. Is the incest less creepy if the connecting parent is technically a god? The, The way that, if you want to view that whole, you know, universe of mythology, I would say no. I mean, like, yeah, it's gross, it, but not it, really. Is it as gross if you're different like moms? If it's different moms and your dad is a god, a god? I'd say it's my destiny. <laughs> it's my fate. Let me get up in them tentacles, baby. It's like I'm already, I already got gills. <laughs> what do you get? You got one of them cloacas or something? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I know. We like to joke around a lot. I was still thinking, like, man, she is so cute, but. When he finally encounters her, when he's hiding, you know, and she's like, come over, they start making out, and, you know, the petting's getting a little heavy, and then he's like, 
he freaks out, of course, because he figures out what she is. <laughs> like, we can look past that. Just keep the damn blankets on and we'll do some top-heavy stuff. <laughs> Nothing below the, the gills. <laughs> but no, nah, I mean, all jokes aside, I was just thinking, man, that's so funny. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's kind of funny. I do think it's less creepy if, if both your parents are, the, are God rather than yeah. normal human. I would agree. Something, something seems a little bit... It's our destinies. Yeah, I don't. I can't believe I'm kind of condoning this incest. Who are we to fight our fate? Kind of <laughs> condoning this incest. I know. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard. <laughs> it's, it's hard to advocate for that. <laughs> but you know, when there's a god involved, it changes the dynamics. Anyway. No, I, I, I like that. I mean, if you're not familiar with any of that stuff, it's a good twist. It's arguably. How would you define the ending? Would you say it's a, a... dude? The bad guys win. Well, yeah, no doubt, <laughs> but. You know, when you look at Paul's whole scenario, he goes from being a human to now he's a half-god creature. I mean, he's now... He lived as a human is what I'm getting at. I mean, right. I should, I should say. He's always a, been... As far as everything goes, they continually say the result, but they never explain it yeah. in the movie. It's okay. But he's effectively immortal. Yeah. I'm like... As long as he doesn't good. die by violence, he's never going to die. Yeah. I love it. I like that, man. I mean, this story to me, I mean, for all the films that we've done, I mean, it's not super low budget. I shouldn't say that. It has a moderate budget. But, man, the way that they did it for that time period, yeah, CG kind of sucks. But it's a real crafted film. And for me, it's a lot of fun. Dude, like I I said, I like it a lot. I ended up really liking this movie, even with the way it deviated from the Lovecraft. In some ways, because of the way it deviated from the Lovecraft. God, it sounds really weird that I've been talking. Uh, I keep alternating between <laughs> love of the work and the fact that the author was kind of a racist piece of shit. I mean, we can't ignore that. It's fact. a really, it's a really we weird, it. it's a really weird Dichotomy. thing to deal with. Yeah. yeah, I know, and that's the thing. That's one of the weird things with the Lovecraft fandom. You end up running into a bunch of people that have <sighs> weird ways of having to deal with that. Like, yeah. I've heard of people that won't own anything that actually depicts his image. Because of that, they'll only go with like his works that don't include his image. I know what you're saying. It's the work itself as opposed to the actual man who's doing the work. And actually, it's weird. It doesn't tie into Lovecraft or horror, but it ties into dealing with the subject of loving something by somebody who might be despicable. <laughs> yeah. And I want to recommend the documentary Wagner and Me. Mm. where Stephen Fry sort of explores Wagner's ties to the Nazi party and his love of him, even though he had relatives die in the Holocaust. Damn. It's a very good exploration of people with the same sort of feelings. Yeah, I mean, it's in like case it it's something morality. That, yeah, in case it's something that you also wonder about with your own, you know, media viewing habits. That's a very good point. As we're finding out more and more, some of these people don't do good things behind the scenes. Very poignant point. I'm just thinking, you know, there's a lot of, I don't even have to name names, people already know. There's a lot of films that I can enjoy the art and the craft, but man, it's, it's a hard pill to swallow when you know the shit behind the making of things and the people involved. And it's, it's like, God damn it. <laughs> It's like, why, man? You're talented enough to where you don't need to do the... I mean, they're vices. I mean, yeah, but, man, they're so horrible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's one of the unfortunate things yeah. that sort of come with a fandom, and that's why I keep bringing it up, but... 
but you have to be at least a little bit upfront and you know on Main Street about it because I mean there is that ugly truth about the person who makes these incredible works of fiction <laughs> with this gigantic universe that he's woven with some of his other friends. We've mentioned a few of them, so. And basically is generally created with creating cosmic horror, it's which... craziness, man. And we're still talking about its influence today, and it's almost 100 years later, you know. Mm-hmm. People are going to be talking about it after we're long and gone. But it's still nice to know where some of these origins come from in American horror, specifically. Anyway, yeah, I recommend this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a fun <laughs> that, film. That's my, that's my end thought, I guess. Yeah. No, the only thing I left that I could say without, you know, talking about the film is it was kind of interesting how, you know, we had something lined up and we were both on the same wavelength, like we wanted to do something in that universe. And I started thinking about some of our prior films, not that this is the impetus for it, but... So like, Beyond kind of led into this because Clark Ashton Smith is like yeah, but Lovecraft. It's just like, I like the way that the atmosphere is built and I like the way mm-hmm. that these stories are told because of some of their influences. And it's still very cohesive, and they're fun films, and I feel like they deserve a lot more credit than probably they get. So, yeah, I mean, it's nice to introduce people to films that are maybe a little bit off the radar, maybe a little bit off the main street, but you're still going to get a lot of value out of them. And this is definitely one of those films I would recommend. Could you say, in some ways, we might be unearthing the films? I would say that is a very specific way of saying what we're doing, yes. Um, I just set myself oh, up for the segue man. of what we're going to be going into. I like uh, it, though. I'm kind of glad that this movie had its good, lighthearted yeah. moments. I was thinking a little bit of that, too. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good way yeah. to lead into the next couple weeks. We're going to get a little sludgy. Oh, man. You guys might have figured out by some of the other movies that we've covered in the past and ended up really, really, really enjoying that me and Danny at times can be a bit of a gore hound. Oh, yeah, no doubt. We're definitely yeah. not averse to going towards a little bit more of the extreme end of horror. I would totally concur. And part of that reason, too, is because it is a part of the genre that it's nice to explore, but it's one that I would say don't tread too heavy, especially if you're not familiar or comfortable with it. So for the next two weeks... Like, if you're not comfortable with the fucked up... We're about to go a little on the deep end. We're going to go We're gonna go pretty deep for the next two weeks. Uh, starting pants. off with next week, a Mexican film rather than a Spanish film. Si. <laughs> Atros. Atros, yeah. And it is... Atrocious. It is an unearthed film, which we're finally going to talk about. I'm, I'm a huge fan, and I'll nerd out next week all about that good shit. And it's one of those movies where you often see people saying, I don't understand why people, people make would films make like films like this. <laughs> We're just going to put it that way. I've Have never seen it before, that? but I know the I reputation yeah, and I know ones. the type of things that Unearthed puts out. So yeah, I'm very familiar. <clears throat> so with that being said, we have an Unearthed film lined up. We have a film lined up right after that with somebody, I'm not going to mention it, but with somebody we've mentioned several uh, times. Yeah, we're not going to give that one away yet. You're no. going to have to listen to, we have to next up. week to find out. But we are going to warn you now that it's also fucked up. Back to back. We're going to slap you with some nastiness. Oh, so if you want to if you want to come get nasty with us for the next two we're weeks. We're going to be the nasty boys for the uh, next two weeks. 
please hit subscribe <laughs> on however you're listening to us currently. You can always go to our website, friedsquirms.com. There's links up at the top, streaming the latest episode down at the bottom. In between, you can find links to our Instagram, Fried Squirms Podcast, Twitter at Fried Squirms, and Facebook. Just search for Fried, yeah, Squirms. Fried Squirms. And, you know, our archives and shit are all on there. You can always hit us up by emailing us, squirmcast at gmail.com, or using the contact form on our website. It works. We hear from you guys. We do. Thanks for hitting us up. We love hearing from you. Continue doing so. I enjoy that. It's nice to get the feedback because it lets us know, you know, what people think. And, I mean, we're getting several recommendations. So that's always the fun of it. And still, if you want to collaborate, we're always open to those ideas. I think we covered it all, didn't we? I think so. I think we talked a lot about H.P. Lovecraft today. So you got a little history lesson. It was a fun film once again. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. And I'm glad, though, somewhere down the road we're going to revisit another Stuart Gordon film. We will be doing Castle Freak at some time. If only to give me an excuse to reread The Outsider. Yeah. And it gives me an excuse to at least get caught back up on some H.P. Lovecraft. I'm going to go cuddle my stuffed Cthulhu tonight tonight. Ah, you're lucky. You know, you guys are really lucky, too, because I actually, like, looked up more intense pronunciations (laughs) for Cthulhu based on his own notes and shit, but I'm not even going to try to recreate some of those right now, (laughs) because... Well, we can reserve those for a special time. Yeah. We'll see if I get better at language between... We'll brush (laughs) up on that, right? (laughs) Because, by the way, the pronunciation isn't Cthulhu. Oh. Spoiler alert. (laughs) not according to the author nice well fun man that's gonna be fun to learn about later on but yeah for this week it was fun i've been danny i think i've been tyler for the most part yeah fried squirms out